Hi, I'm Hera. And I'm Aisha. And we are the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice, or SMCs. Like you, as SMCs, we decided to become mothers knowing we'd be the sole care provider and parent of our children, at least at the outset. And the mocha is for Black. We discuss being SMCs from an intentionally Black lens. You'll connect with all the interesting and fun things about this non-traditional path. Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional childcare, and what it's actually like to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. Hi, Pod. Welcome back. Today's podcast is one that's been near and dear to my heart. It's been a long time in the making. It's about parenting the kid in front of you. It's really a nod to my own mom, who, while she wasn't a perfect human being, there were some things that she did that allowed me to grow up as a free Black girl. I wanted to do the same for my kids if I ever got the chance. What I love most about how she parented me is that when she reached a point, the limits of her being able to sculpt and nurture me, she put me in the hands of trusted adults. Essentially got out of the way So took her stuff and set it aside so that I could blossom and I could bloom. It's one of the things I hope to do for my own kids. Here we are today with Jillian and Christina, both members of our forum. So warm welcome to both of you. Before I ask you to introduce yourselves, I do want to say that there were things that I observed about both your parenting styles and the things that you've written that really um, spoke to me. So first, Christina, you're like the jet beauty of my SMC story. You're the first Black SMC. I think it was in Ebony that I read your story and I was just like, yes, you know, so to kind of see myself reflected and to, to be in the same space and being having the luxury of following your story and following your parenting has been nothing but a blessing to me. And it does influence my approach and the tweaks that I've made to how I'm parenting my girls. And then Jillian, I stumbled across your story and your thought process by happenstance. I was trying to produce another episode and I sent you an email kind of by mistake. And then you just opened up to me in a way that I was just like, I was near tears. Like this is, this is kind of what it's about. And I think it's something that needs to be shared. And it leaned more toward having people ask you about your approach to parenting and having people witness your parenting style, which I think is something we don't often get to do or often realize as single mothers by choice. So I'm going to turn it over to both Christina and Jillian to introduce yourselves, and then we'll go jump into the episode. Sorry. Sure. First, Aisha, thank you so much. Those are very kind words. I am uh, Christina, as uh, you mentioned. I live outside Washington, D.C. I have a 10-year-old son who was uh, conceived by an anonymous sperm from a bank. Uh, We are just living our lives here right now. I thank you so much for those words. I will say that, you know, as we will go on and talk about through this conversation, parenting is a journey and I'm still on it. So I am not trying to hold myself out as some kind of perfect parent struggling like everyone else, but it really has been a true joy. So I'm so glad to be able to share with everyone today. Well, thank you. Jillian. I'm Jillian. I have an 11 and a half year old and an almost three year old. And we live in Texas, Houston, Texas. I do want to say also, thank you for asking me about parenting because I've never, I swear in like 11 and a half years, it wasn't something that I got asked. So that was really nice to to be able to, to open up about. So thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I've got an eight-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. And so right smack dab in the middle of parenting and realizing that the people you have in front of you are not just little molds of yourself, right? They are individuals and you have to honor that. All right, so let's go ahead and jump right in. I feel like once we make this decision to have children on our own, we immediately start imagining 
who they're going to be and how we want to parent them. I know that this was true for me. I was so, you, you're so full of hope, right? And so, and this was especially true with my first pregnancy where I had the luxury of having a smooth pregnancy. So there was no chance that I was not going to meet this little person. And so I was just, you know, completely in love. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And so Christina and Jillian, what were your thoughts about how you wanted to parent as you were trying to conceive or when you got that positive pregnancy test? Like, what were you thinking about how you wanted to parent your kid? Uh, So I can say for myself that one of the things that I am really blessed about is that I had good parents who were good parenting role models for me. I think that I saw myself as, you know, I did know early on that I was having a boy. And so that was an interesting uh, experience for me. I'm the youngest in my family. So I had not really had that experience of seeing children and knowing, you know, oh, I raised my cousins or I babysat or did a lot of that stuff. So a lot of this really was new to me. So I have to say, I, I don't know whether I had a really good idea in my mind of how it was going to look, but I did want to be, I thought, really generous with love, which sounds so obvious. But my sense was that young boys, particularly young Black boys, I just have this sense that they are loved to a certain point and then it feels like there's like a cutoff and then you have to be rough and tough and present this image to the world of, of, you know, strength and not ever being hurt. And I think that that's a damaging way to live. It's certainly not all men. And I don't want to say, you know, suggest that everybody have this experience But one of the things that I just said to myself is that I want this child to feel loved all the time. This does not mean that I'm happy with him all the time, but (laughs) it means that he will always have a place to come that is comfort. Home will always be a comfort for him. Home will not be a dangerous place for him. This is tough. Sometimes it's just the two of us and sometimes mommy gets mad and sometimes mommy has to tell, tell him like, you need to give me a little break, honey, so that I can to have a moment to myself to come back to myself. But I think that those were those were sort of the main things that I was thinking is that I wanted a kid who could be emotionally supported and who could go out into the world and not feel like he needed to present like this face to the world of endless strength without emotion. I love that. <laughs> and I, I do think that it is a journey, like from the from the time you find out, like, I have two girls and for both of them, I thought that they were boys. So I had started out thinking about how we were going to be as parent and kid. And I was going to have little Wesley, you know, Wesley was going to be for both of them, just kind of the two of us like skipping in the forest. And then that changes radically. I did IUI for my first. I had to wait until 14 weeks to find out the gender, but I thought I was having a boy. I had names picked out. And when I realized I was having a girl, I had a bit of gender disappointment, like, okay, she's not going to be Wesley. How how do I deal with this? Part of it was that in my upbringing, I grew up with sisters. And so girls always kind of came with a lot of drama. I don't handle drama well. And so for me, I had to take a step back and say, huh, how am I going to do that? Um, but Jillian, what was your thought? What was going to be your approach to parenting as you were trying to conceive? Honestly, I didn't think of how I was going to parent beyond I want them to be good adults. I mean, it was that was my my frame of reference was like for them to be an adult, you know, you have to have these certain qualities. I want to be able to help them to have those qualities. I know it's kind of dry, but that's basically what I went with, because the other part of me was like, I've done this before. I've been raised around kid. That part I can do. So I don't think I thought as deeply as I should have as far as uh, how to parent. But that was where I was. And and then I had the opposite experience where my pregnancies did end up being really rough. So I got stuck into that part of it more so before they were born, just trying to get through fertility. And so, no, I didn't do as well on that as I probably should have. I- no, I will say I my journey tended to be kind of like a cross between both of yours, because I am one of five of uh, six girls. So I have five sisters. And they all had kids before me. They were younger single moms. And so I got the benefit of hindsight watching them raise their kids. And I was just like, this, I don't want to do this. Okay, I can see that. So so for me, that was my model. And like you, Jillian, I wanted to raise good people, just really good, empathetic people. And I think that that set the baseline for a lot of the decisions I made in their 
early formative years from school choice to where I live and the values that are important. Okay. So I realized as part of that initial thinking that there was a lot I needed to unpack about my upbringing. So I had to kind of go backward in order to, to move forward in my, my parenting journey, realizing that we're each individuals before we're parents and the parenting lens that we use is framed by our previous experience. So whether it's good, bad, traumatic, ugly, we do sometimes bring that in either consciously or unconsciously to our parenting. How has your worldview shaped your approach to parenting or how you're currently parenting your kid? Um, my worldview right now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that at home, I try to be a little bit more humorous and a little bit softer because my worldview and the things that I think I kind of grew up with was like, don't question adults, not necessarily from my mom, but just in general, you know, you don't speak to adults this way. You do these certain things. And then, so I just try to be a little bit softer. I allow him to allow them to come back at me and let me know what we need to discuss. But yeah, just try to be softer and try to be open, try to be humorous because I know that that's things that he needs, especially. Yeah, I like that. I think somebody said there, there are parts of parenting that's really hard. And, you know, we get caught up sometimes in that tunnel vision with you need to do this, do this, and we're pushing, pushing, pushing. And somebody is just like, but at the end of the day, this is still their childhood, right? And I think that that really kind of softens the view of where we are in this particular point in time. And it makes the picture bigger that it we're, we'll get past this moment. Christina, how about you? You know, one of the things that comes to mind first when I think about that question is questions of discipline. My uh, upbringing, as I mentioned, I'm the youngest. And so my brother and sister would laugh because of course they believe that I got away with everything and they got a, they had the much more strict upbringing. But there were some things that were part of my childhood, like spanking. I will just be right out front with that. I was not spanked a lot. I don't think that spanking was something that personally, I, I am not talking about anybody else's experience with it, but I don't think that it personally damaged me or my parent uh, relationship with my parents was, you know, irreparably harmed. That being said, I remember every one of them. And I did spank Micah when he was little. And then, and I would say like little, up, maybe up to like toddler age, not with an object or anything. But then at a certain point, I just said, you know what? This can't be a tool in my toolbox because there is no other adult in this house. There's nobody to tell me to stop. And there's nobody he can go to when mom is in a rage. And that's just not fair to back a child into a corner like that by virtue of just my physical presence, you know, just because I'm bigger than him. I will say, you know, it it, it was something that I had to think about, which seems though know, that there are probably parents who either think and don't think twice and they don't care or who have never done it and like, how could this have ever been something in your... So I'm only talking about my own journey here where I really did have to say, this is something I'm not like, this This is a, a boundary that I'm setting for us because of our special circumstances. And because just to reflect on the person when you're talking about parenting the child in front of you, it hurts his feelings. It really, it really does. It hurts his feelings more than it hurts his body, probably. So, you know, my feelings weren't necessarily hurt by spankings. I mean, I'm sure I was, but you know, whatever, move on. But he like really like internalizes it. <laughs> like things like, oh, you don't like me anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. That's just one thing that when you come up, when you talk about how one's worldview changes when you are actually parenting the child in front of you, that's just one obvious thing. Um, I've had to develop other tools in my toolbox. And sometimes this, as Jillian mentions, this sort of like endless negotiation that children are learning now, like sometimes he'll come to me and say, mom, I think you need to say, I'm sorry. I say, I never in my life would have come to my parents. <laughs> you need to apologize to me for yelling. He's like, is there something you need to say, mom? And I'm like, uh, absolutely not. But the kids, these kids are like learning a lot of emotional health type things in school. And sometimes I think, okay, you know, I, I accept that you feel bad right now. I, I, not everything can be an apology, but I understand where you're coming from. So sometimes I have to think about this because sometimes I just want to say, just be quiet. But, <laughs> and I can't 
it's a, like I said, I mean, my parents sadly have both passed away, but I would love to ask them because I think they would just like laugh hysterically to hear me having to like kind of deal with the kid who talks a lot because I talk a lot. And I think they would love to see how I have to negotiate that. But anyway, so yeah, that's one that's one thing that sort of stands out to me for that question. Yes, that's exactly how my son is. I have to accept that, you know, he's a talker and he's got to talk to me. And he's, I've got to let it happen. But And that's a good thing. Like I know in my daughter's school this year, I think they introduced a new part of the curriculum called emotional social learning. And there's actually a room that is like a, almost a sensory room as well. But they have budget for a person. <laughs> to kind of lead that um, type of learning. And so I will say for me, my childhood was rough. It was full of drama. I grew up in Brooklyn in the 80s, you know, during the height of the drug epidemic at the epicenter. And so for me, there was a lot of drama. We spanked. There was a lot of (laughs) arduous labor. Like I remember Saturdays, my dad would have us moving stuff, like literally 10-year-olds moving concrete blocks. Don't ask me what. So kind of similar to what both of you said, I tried to be intentional about one, creating safe spaces for my kids to have those conversations with me, but also being really affectionate and speaking love and positivity into my kids. And it's just like, I hug them. I tell them that I love them. You know, I send them to school. They get out the car. I love you, you know, because I feel like they need that coat when they go out into the world. And there's still little people who are very vulnerable. And so for me, I wanted home to be a safe home base. I wanted there to be no drama, no screaming. That's part, I think, of why I chose the SNC path. I was married and what I was seeing in my marriage meant that we were just at such cross purposes with how we wanted to be as humans and how we might want to parent that I could see me choking back a lot of bad swear words, a lot of tension in the home. So when I went back to dating and I thought about what I really, really wanted, and I just wanted peace and I wanted safe space in my home and for my kids. And so for me, I tried to do a lot of hugs. And, you know, a lot of communication, like just the other day, I yelled at my daughter as we were getting ready for school. And I try not to cause trauma before I have to drop her off at school because that disrupts her learning. And so when I picked her up that day, she told me that she sat in the thinking chair at school and she talked to her teacher and she told her teacher she was sad because her mom yelled at her. And so she told me she was like, Mom, you totally emptied my bucket. And I felt sad, right, Christina? It's just like, you know, where are they getting this language? But I felt sad for me because I had to validate her. And I knew she was right. I was like, you know, I'm sorry. I emptied your bucket. You know, how can I make it right? You know, but the fact that she felt safe enough to tell me and to tell her teachers without feeling like she had to choose between me and her own emotional safety, it, it says something. And I hope it's something that she continues to do as she develops. But um, anyway, I get I get all choked up. Um, so <laughs> no, that's such an intelligent way of talking about it. And I will say as much as I laugh about my goodness, you know, these children have so much to say. It is good. It, it is. It goes back to the earlier thing I said is to raise somebody who's emotionally healthy, who can set boundaries for themselves and not like wait until something builds up so much that they explode in some kind of bad manner. Just think it's it's just better. These are the these are the people who we want. These are the good people, Jillian, as you said. I mean, these are the good adults that we need to have in the world. So as SNCs, we get to make all the choices. That's that's one of the blessings, right? And one of the curses. And so kind of looking back on your life as children, there is some things that we have to be intentional about. So what were you intentional about bringing into your parenting style? And then what were some things that you were just like, yeah, I'm going to leave this behind. I know we talked about spanking, but was there anything else that you were like, I'm going to be intentional about doing these things to make this a part of our daily lives? I can start by saying uh, one thing that I'm very intentional about is privacy. And it it's something that I just feel that it's a lesson that if he understands that there that he has a right to 
bodily autonomy and private spaces and things like that. So my hope, honestly, is that later on, he is in a dating situation where somebody says, stop, that that's too much. That's you need to stop that he will understand because somebody stopped for him. I'm not as there are people who take who go in a very what I consider to be like, extreme, I I shouldn't say extreme, I can't think of a better word right now, but where my child should never be forced to hug. I do think that actually is true. I'm not like as kind of hardcore about it, but there are certain things that I do. I knock on his door before I come in. I I knock and I wait for him to invite me in. I let him know that his room is a place that he has. His dressing and things like that, you know, now he's getting old enough that it's not as big a deal. He can dress himself. But, you know, when he was younger, I would ask permission to do certain things or I would tell him that I'm going to do certain things. Now we're going to, you know, I'm going to take off your shirt. Okay, now shirt back on and stuff like that. I just think that all of these kinds of things, I think that often we think we can get to, you know, the child as a tween or the child as a teenager. And now we can start having the sex talk and the privacy talk and the consent talk and stuff like that. But I do feel like some of those things need to happen all along in small ways. So that was something that I felt like pretty intentional about. And I think, you know, I talked a little bit about discipline in terms of things that I kind of am more intentional about sort of leaving out of our of our lives. Yeah, I think kind of like when we talk about race, you know, I think it is something that is just present and it should be in every kid's dialogue, you know, white, black, um, every color in the spectrum that we should be talking about race. You don't have to like be an indoctrinaire about it, but I think it's ever present, like privacy. Um, and like those two-year-olds who is just like, I can do it. And I'm just like, ooh, it tests the bounds of body autonomy. <laughs> so <laughs> how about you, Jillian? <laughs> Um, I do think there's a bit of a, about what Christina said, because, you know, having a toddler and a, an 11 year old, it's like sometimes toddler, you know, you need the need to teach, start teaching them early that privacy is a thing. <laughs> but I'm also t- trying to be intentional about boundaries and respecting who the other person is as far as we're very tight knit. You know, it's only three of us, but we're still very different people. We still have needs. We need space sometimes. Sometimes we need to be able to say you know, I need a break. You know, you need to be able to let people have what they need when you can give it to them. You need to be able to understand that it's not about you. Basically, it's not like we're telling you to go away. We're just saying, this is what I need in the moment. So I'm trying to teach them right now that it's okay to voice what you need in your moments. It's it's getting easier, but <laughs> it's it's we're learning that right now. Yeah, I I would say a combination of what both of you said, body autonomy and setting, you know, healthy boundaries. And then also for me, making sure that my kids realize that they play a role in the community or the ecosystem, right? I do a lot of gardening at my house and, you know, part of it is learning, part of it is teaching solitude, being out in nature and having that appreciation for things that are vulnerable, right? Because yes, we can pour like hot water and chicken grease like in the garden, but what are we harming? What are we killing? But uh, helping them to understand that they are a part of an ecosystem, right? They are a part of a community and that, you know, they have jobs in the community and they're responsible for protecting the community as well. And so community and ecosystems are just a big part of my, my parenting style. And then, of course, the things that I wanted to leave behind was just a lot of high drama and a lot of, I don't want to say materialism as essences. Sometimes we can get overwhelmed by the the giving of our village, right? What do the kids want? You've got a million people sending gifts. You've got a million people like just giving stuff, but trying to understand that, okay, so what do we do with all of this stuff? What's our responsibility? So we do recycling. Christina mentioned something that triggered me to have a conversation with my daughter about Giving Tuesday because she has a part of her bank that is like a donation. So now we waited all year to get to the point where we get to decide where we're donating. And so we waited all year to get to this point where we get to choose where we donate. So I'm do- I donate to PBS because PBS, PBS Kids, they are just rocking it. And so public television, I donate there. So I asked her, where does she want to donate and she wants to donate to our local YMCA because they 
feed into her. You know, that's our community. And so I'm just like, I want that giving, you know, not just receiving things, but the the value of giving to also be a part of our parenting. A lot of us, you know, as SMCs, we get to kind of make the rules, right? And we're, we've read all the parenting books and we're already outside of main, what's considered mainstream and traditional. So we get to like do different things with how we raise our kids. How do you raise your kids the way you want to raise them in the context of long-held family traditional values. I have to remember who my children are. When I, I think about um, my oldest and how sensitive he is and his heart, and like I have to make sure that I'm parenting to that, paying attention to what's going to build him up because it would be so easy to just do something and like tear it all down. So I want to constantly be putting in good things. And so I need to pay attention to him. I can't pay attention to everybody else. And it's similar to my, my toddler where she has her certain needs. So if I'm not the one meeting her needs, who's going to do that? It's up to me. So I have to be intentional about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I know like the holiday seasons are coming up, right? So we're going to be in the midst of a lot of this, like, oh, you let that boy get away with a lot of stuff. Oh, she talked back to you like that. Like, how do you stand firm? And it's just like, this is the way I'm parenting. I need you to, to back off. Like, how do you, Christina? Yeah, you know, it is, uh, you know, sadly, as I mentioned, my parents have passed away. And so that sort of immediate, oh, you let him talk to you like that, or oh, he, that kind of thing is not necessarily a part of our lives. But I think that I, I mean, I really have to agree with Jillian that it, it is a matter of you have to remember that your child is your child and your child is having his or her own life journey. And some of the things, not all of the things, certainly, I don't want to say that everybody's family traditions are like troubling or something like that. But some of the things that we were raised with don't really make that much sense. They just were passed down because they just, this is the way we talk. I actually experienced this recently. My son and I got to visit my college, I went to Florida A&M University, the HBCU. And so this was, I will say, he just told me later, like, all the people there are black. Did you notice that? I said, I did notice that. But one of the things we saw there was we met a person there who is a peer of my father. So someone who's like my parents' age, although she was a little younger than my father. Afterwards, my son was like, she's so she's my friend. She's my friend. And I just and also he called her Dolores. So he called her by her first name. And I just like cringed because I don't I don't like I just don't like it. I just don't like children to call older adults by their first name. And also, I wanted to say somebody who could be your grandmother is not your friend. But then I thought, like, why am I getting so hung up? On the fact, what he is expressing to me is that he loved this woman. He thought she was great. That is the most important part. Second, I did actually tell him, like, well, please call her Miss Glover. But the, but I realized that I was getting like kind of hung up on the sort of etiquette and not really listening to what it was he was saying, which is that he had a wonderful time and he loved meeting this person who was very friendly to him and loved him back. So. Sometimes you do have to just sort of step out of yourself a little bit. There are certain things that like kind of are immediate triggers for me. And I miss the forest because I'm like triggered by like these, this tiny tree. So anyway, it's weird. I get very, it's, it's strange growing up. I you know live outside D.C. in this very progressive kind of blue community. But when I get back south. It's like all of a sudden, I, like, and this is where I grew up too, outside DC. But like, when I get back to fam, I all of a sudden become like this highly southern, <laughs> very strict mother. Like, you know, say, ma'am, open the door, and you know. Anyway, it's silliness, but yeah, I think it's just a matter of, you know, these kids today. I mean, I don't know, Jillian and Anisha, if it's the same. You, you cannot parent these kids carelessly, okay? Because they will really call you. Oh, you have to, you have to, you have to be in the moment. I will sit there and be driving. My daughter's asking me questions. I'm, mm-hmm, uh-huh. Sure. She's just like, mom, you're not even listening to me. What did I say? And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah. I know they don't let it go. They don't let something go. And they're like, mom, 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 mom. <laughs> like I feel like the words are like hitting my head like rocks. I can't. I it was just but, my child who would call me out. But yes, yeah, my son would do that. What did I say? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's it's just like free kids, right? And so I know for me, like I said, my um I my parents are also long deceased. And so the kind of rules and structure that used to exist when you have that older generation in place does not exist. So it's really like anything goes. I had to really take a deep look at who my sisters were as people and the drama. And so for me, I've got like one or two aunties that the girls know growing up. And I really had to put strong boundaries in place because I got to witness what it looks like in my family to see nieces and nephews where there were not strong boundaries. And there were influences that people felt like they could not change. And so for me, I think that it is a privilege to be able to influence someone's child. It is a privilege to be able to nurture and talk to someone's child on a regular basis. And that's a privilege I don't take lightly. And so for me, I had to really look at the people in my circle and really examine their values and not in a preachy kind of way. It's just like, yeah, you know, I'm the only one with small children of my sibling group. So it's easy for me to just say, yeah, we're going to spend Thanksgiving in Virginia this year and not like I can set up some fun boundaries by the very nature that my kids are young and my sisters are all like grandmas now. And so for me, that's helped to avoid a lot of unnecessary drama. So strong boundaries. What's been most surprising about the parenting journey? (laughs) What's been most surprising to you? For me, I would say that when your child is young, so my child just turned 10, when he or she is young, they pretty much do everything you want to do, right? I mean, what are they going to do? They can't drive the car. They have no they have no opinions about anything. And you can do a lot of the things. You can just take them places and it's fine. At a certain point, I want to say when my son got into kindergarten, I think it was when it started becoming very clear to me that he really had his own personality about certain things. And there are certain things that bother him that don't bother me. One thing that that is sadly uh, something that is very common to both of us is we always are running late. And I, I'm just not very good with time and neither is he. And we both get very distracted. I'm con- So I'm constantly like, ah. but I realized that, for example, if I started the morning like this and got him to school like that in this very rushed kind of like, go, 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 grab, 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 that he would be like rattled for the whole day. It would mm-hmm. really cause just and I would, and I would hear from teachers like it would really just cause just a, a, a cascade of effects. So anyway, all that to say, like, I had to say, well, wait a minute, like, I can't, like, we can't both start the day like this. So I've got to, like, do better to help him do better. I think that as, this is just one like small example of something that I saw when he was in kindergarten. But as he's getting older and older, he is there are certain things he likes to do. I used to be able to go to more SMC events that I can't go to now because he's not interested in going or he'll ask if there's kids there that are in age and if they're not, he doesn't really want to go. Yeah, he just is, he's turning into his own little little person and, and parts of it, I, and so I have to deal with him sometimes like, you know, again, a little person like I know what you want to do is is talk like nonstop, but mom can't like handle the nonstop talking. So we got to have to negotiate something here. Anyway, yeah, just seeing them become their own person and realizing that you have less control than you think, which is comforting in some ways, because when you when they are babies, you think that, oh, my gosh, if I breastfeed, oh, my gosh, if I co-sleep, oh, my gosh, if I do this or that, you know, all these things that seem so important in the moment. Years later, you realize this, this did not make that big a difference. They are going to be their own person. Yeah. Jillian. I think for me, the the surprising thing, there's so many surprising things, honestly. (laughs) The surprising thing right now is that I have to constantly kind of examine myself against him. So like there's so much of us that we're so much alike, but it still surprises me that, oh, wait, he got he's as sensitive as I am. So I need to go back and think, how would I want this to be done to me? So now I need to do that for him or that when we're having a really rough moment, I need to I need to get humorous with it and just like give him a weird look or like something to like kind of break it down because you know he the way that he is 
he's that sensitive person. I need to pay more attention to that. And so re-examine how I react to things and how he needs to be reacted to, I guess. But so, yeah, as you can tell, I'm like dealing with my parenting on a very regular basis, trying to trying to figure out how to best handle us in that way. So I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm, see myself in a, in a better light than what I grew up with. So I will, I will, I will, I will kind of agree. Christina, you had something? I just was just pivoting off of something that you said, Jillian, I would say in, in terms of examining yourself. One thing that I don't think that we do enough of is asking for help with some of these things. Uh, my son has ADHD. I may also. <laughs> it is it is not uncommon for people whose children have ADHD and go through the diagno- diagnostic process to look at some of the things that their children do and say, well... You know, so I so I find myself so I'm in a process now in my you know early fifties of thinking like, huh, let me look back at this thing that happened when I was younger. Gosh, I wonder. All that to say that some things be cut by nature that again he is his own person, and some things that could you know work or be motivational for a, you know a child a neurotypical you know a child who doesn't have ADHD are things that just like either cause him to like shut down or he gets in a very like self anger, you know, internal. Yeah, that that is not something that that's not something that I know naturally how to address. And so I've had to go to other sources how to work with kids with ADHD and how to parent kids with ADHD. Yeah. So that I can have more tools in my toolbox for that. It's not something that comes naturally to me at all. And I think that we think that all this stuff should just come naturally, but we're people too. We have our own triggers, too. And I think we, you know, I think there's something to be said for being kind to ourselves as we are kind to our children. I think you hit on something, um, Christina, and this was this leads into my next question that we start out with these little bundles of just flopping around on the bed. Right. And then you are in full control. You're their world until they enter school. School is like going from the frying pan to the fire. You learn about your kids. You learn about yourself. You learn about the school system. And I know for me, raising part of raising a kid in front of me was coming to terms with the fact that my child might not like the things that I like or might struggle with things that were easy for me. And I'm currently in the midst of this. My daughter, her school was interrupted by the pandemic. And so that meant that some of the the fundamentals of reading and, you know, regular typical behavior stuff put us in kind of a spiral last year where the school was trying to say, oh, that she was, she had ADHD or like sent us through the whole diagnostics. And so I really had to take out a lot of time to evaluate who my child is, who I am, who her school is and what tools are available to us. And part of that is looking at her and saying, okay, development Mentally, is this what what feels normal, right? And then being honest with, okay, yeah, there there's some you know concentration issues, but is it major? What else is going on in the classroom? And so I think that there are tons of times where your kid enters the school system where you're getting all of these messages, and you have to stop and say, who is my kid? What's normal for my kid? In order to do that, you have to see your child good, bad, other, where they are developmentally to be able to say, okay, this is an area where they need help. This is valid. This is probably race-based. This is, you know, typical. Mm -hmm. I also have a kid who is on the younger end of the age spectrum. Like she turns her age for the classroom right a week before school. So Mm -hmm. technically developmentally, she's still like when she's turned seven, she's still on the back end of six. And so I'm going to get a lot of those issues. And where I had to advocate for her, because part of seeing the kid in front of you is knowing when and where and how to advocate for your kid. I had to say, I had to push back on the school, like you're putting her in timeout, it wasn't timeout, but whatever it was, for doing things that are developmentally appropriate for where she is for her age. And they're like, no, no, no. We, we, it, it's a, you know, it's a responsive classroom. I'm just like, no. So they sent me like these pages from a book. They're like, you know, evaluate these behavioral um, patterns. I was like, but did you? 
because mm-hmm. based on this book, she's hitting everything that she should hit for where she is in her age group, early seven. So part of it is like pushing back on the system as well. Now, I have a healthy regard for teachers, but I also know my kid and I'm just like, hmm. Yeah. Long story short, school is like going from the frying pan to the fire. So how has your parenting approach changed or adjusted based on who your kid is in school? Um, So we're homeschoolers. So I think for us, it's more so about looking at him and or her, which is, you know, kind of early on, but looking at him and really thinking honestly about his abilities and what I can do for him. Like Christina said earlier, sometimes you have to ask for help. And I think as a homeschooling parent, that's where a lot of my outsourcing comes from. I have to have other people who can help me to look at it in a very general way instead of, you know, my attachment to my child. I want to be able to do what I can do to make him the best, you know, that kind of thing. I have to be able to look outside of that and see what he actually needs. So that's kind of how schooling comes into my parenting. All right. Oh, I, I definitely want to look back with you on some homeschooling resources. Um, <laughs> and Christina, how about you? Yeah, I actually want to listen to that podcast, too, even though I'm not a homeschooling parent. I although, you know, I don't know if you would ever have a podcast about uh special needs parenting, which is a whole other thing as a single parent to, yep. to negotiate. But I would say that Mike uh, loves his school. Uh, he, my experience with the school is mixed. It is, it's mostly a very nice place. Uh, there have been times when I feel that it, I do think they care about him. It is, but sometimes they just, they cannot know him like a parent does. And I will say that I do feel this might be some internal pressure but I do feel that as a parent of a single, a, you know, single parent of a black boy, that I have to present myself a certain way to not be perceived as whatever somebody's going to perceive as a single, you know, mother of a black boy. That means that probably there are some times when I I might hold my fire, I guess. It's because I say I want to hold this until the time when I'm really going to need to say, like, look, you guys, this is not right. I don't even know. I'll be honest. I don't even know whether I am being too cautious. I might be. It is. This is one of the there's a handful of times where I wish that I've had another parent in the household. And I will say that this is one of the experiences of dealing with schools, dealing with special needs, where I think it would be really nice to have somebody there because I see their things a certain way. But having somebody who loves Mike as much as I do, who could be another set of eyes, I do miss that. Anyway, I will just say, I guess the the long way of answering that question is that it is very much still a journey. And I think to myself, uh, you know, he's in fourth grade now and boy, middle school, this is going to (laughs) be because the elementary school is still a a fairly self-contained situation. But my the way our school works, he has three separate teachers. He has a homeroom teacher, a math teacher, and and a language arts teacher. And just and this is and just experiencing that has been uh, (laughs) a a change. So when he gets to middle school, it has six different teachers or seven. I don't know how they do the periods here. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's an ongoing process. I'll say (laughs) with this one. So that that does lead me to to my next question. So who's in your village? So you mentioned having someone who loves your kid and is invested in your kid as much as you are, that you can bounce these things off. Because I know there was a time when my youngest, there was something I knew was wrong with her eye. And I was just like on the phone with my sister. I was like, take a look at this picture. Do you see something wrong? My sister's like, yeah. So, you know, my sister is a part of that village. That's just like, I just need a second set of eyes. I need a second set of ears, but also I have a really great relationship with my donor sibling mom, who is also like a social worker and like, and, you know, developmental psychology and all of that stuff. So uh, who's in your village? Who, who are the people that you go to with the minutia of parenting? Like, look, you know, she picked out the blueberries from all of the strawberries. She's a genius. Yes. Right. Who's who? Who are those people for you? There's definitely there's definitely a lot of other SMCs. I mean, I feel really fortunate. The DC metro area, Aisha, as you know, has a million 
SMCs. And so there was a, there's a cohort of women who I just sort of bonded with. We, we were all pregnant around the same time. So our kids are all somewhat around the same age, although most of them had girls. So now we're starting to kind of drift a little bit because my son's interests are, are a little bit different. Um, so, but I definitely still talk with them. I actually participate on an online group for, you know, for other single mothers by choice who have children with special needs. And sometimes that is really helpful because people, I think people often want to offer parents a lot of advice regardless. And people want to offer single moms tons of advice <laughs> because they feel like empowered to do it. Um, I guess, because they think that we're asking for it. So I really, in cases like that, I really do want to talk with other mothers who have been, who are going through the same thing. So it's not just like, you know, ask your husband or whatever. I, 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 somebody who's going through the same thing, who's going through the same negotiations with the school, who knows what it's like to be that one parent in a room when there's an, you know, special education meeting and you're the, you're the only person. And then the whole rest of the school is, is sitting on the other side of that table that's a very unique experience. And so these are the people who are in my village for things like this. I do miss having the, oh my gosh, can you believe how smart he is kind of conversations. But a lot of, a lot of my friends, just people who are friends with me before this journey have, you know, I'm blessed that some of the, that many of them are still friends with me now. And so I can share some of that. And some of them know, I think that they have been drafted into this role because my parents are not, are not here. So they, 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 they recognize that like, okay, now she's going to talk about his grades, but, but, um, but that's okay. They're very generous. So I'm lucky that way. Yes. And Jillian, uh, so I love a family group text. <laughs> I'm like really quick to send like some like goofy picture to my mom and my sisters. And um, so those are the primary people that that I'll send something to and like, hey, you got to see this or we're going to go do this. You want to hang out as far as our community? I think post covid, that's something that I'm having to reevaluate, like do our you know needs match up, our values match up now. So for right now, we're we're pretty contained with my my mom and my sisters, but yeah, I think we're we're getting to where we're we're kind of stepping out and like finding other parents that have older kids and parents with toddlers, multiple kids. So kind of digging around, but mostly it's my my family, my mom and my sisters. Yeah, I would say uh, definitely echoing what Christina said. Um, one of the reasons I actually moved to this area was because of the large, active, and diverse SMC community, and you really can find your people. Like I'm I'm really pro black. Uh, but I also have some white SMCs that are just like have been in my corner, my entire birth cohort. So it's the in-person community. It's my, you know, the siblings that I still keep in touch with. It's the virtual community. Last question. What do your kids, what, what are they gravitating toward as professions? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> my kid has wanted to be a firefighter since age I don't know. I don't know I how it happened. <laughs> you don't know how he has been. He has wanted this. You know, I mean, he's only 10. So this has been a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Although he has recently switched to wanting to be a SWAT officer. Mm-hmm. So he I know it's it's quite a, a conversation because he loves police. He loves police. I, you'll love this story. We recently were in New York. I had to go for a business trip. And so I had to bring bring my son along. That's, you know, take him out of school for a couple of days. So we were in Manhattan. Every police officer he saw, he's like, I think I'll go talk to him. I said, hey, let's not talk to every police officer. So he was like waving at every police officer, just kind of like giving him like a little like kind of under underhanded way, but I was like, let's not wave at all the police uh-huh, officers. Right, right. But, you know, it's, it's in, in a way, it's darling because he thinks that, like, of course, every police officer would love to wave back at me. I'm a great right. kid and I love police officers. <laughs> anyway, so he has, he has wanted to be a, a firefighter, though, for most of that time, and I have taken him to every fire department open house mm-hmm. <laughs> that is within a 20-mile radius of this of my home and he's we've been to so many that he has like a they give you like little fake fire hats we have a stack of fire hats in his room i love i love that i love all of his things but you know what though if he says he wants to do it and i was like okay like that that sounds great that you know and who knows who knows right but there's nothing 
wrong with encouraging that he loves it and uh swat offered the thing <laughs> I don't, I don't love it, but, you know, because of course he wants weapons and, you know, handcuffs and can I, you know, have a baton? I'm like, no, but how about a taser? I'm like, no, <laughs> bulletproof vest. And I said, again, no. <laughs> so he's really, really trying yeah. to get decked out, but that's okay. I said, how about you just wear like a shirt and some camouflage pants, but that's okay. Um, yeah, it gives him joy. And mm-hmm. why not? You know, I mean, it, there's, there's, there'll be time enough later in life to, to, uh, to experience non-joyful things. But, but this one, he gets happy, makes, you know, which mostly makes me happy, except when I'm driving to all these <laughs> fire departments. <laughs> How about you, Jillian? <laughs> um, I think my oldest is, uh, he's very much into animation and, and that kind of thing. So that's where the conversations come from, where he's like, mom, are you listening? <laughs> Like, yes, I hear you. I hear you. Keep talking. I'm I'm listening. Um, so he's in the animation. I think my youngest, we'll see, but I think she's gonna be a food critic or something. She was that <laughs> Nick baby that that got the reputation for being hangry all the time. And even up to last night, she's like screaming for food or like a little library thing. She's like, I need food. I'm like, okay. So I think she's gonna do something with food. I don't know, but that that seems to be their their personalities right now. Yeah, my um, my daughter, I love kind of like her creativity. I think she's going to she's artistic, like she she draws really well. I mean, like kid drawings, but, you know, it's very cute. Um, so I've got I started a little portfolio for her. But our ongoing um, talk, because she also likes to build with the um, the mega blocks. And so she builds structures. And I'm just like, she's like, I'm going to be a builder. I was like an engineer. She's like a builder. That was just like, um, an engineer. So finally she's joined me on the the engineer, you know, career path. And so she's, our ongoing conversation is about the house that she's going to build for me. And so she's just like, but can I be, and what did she call it? She combined like artist and engineer. And I was like, definitely you can build and then you can design what the interior looks like. So, you know, it's all part of this ongoing conversation about how you steer them. And it's just like, but she's like, architect, she's like builder. I'm like, architect i just need you to to just jump with me over here but um Thank you both for joining me today. Like I said, this this episode has been a long time in the making. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's one of the joys of, of raising little people to go out into the world. It's just being a part of helping them out there, you know, and I really feel like it's a privilege. I, you know, I pray most nights that God allows me to be the parent that my kids need me to be. And so whatever way, shape or form that is, there you have it. Um, Parenting the kid in front of you. Well, Pod, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, pod. Bye now.